Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to episode 193 of The Stages podcast, featuring conversations with creatives about craft, career, and what matters to them. My name is Peter Ayers, and I'm thrilled that my guest in this episode is an old classmate from drama school, and my dear friend, Nick Atkinson. Nick is an Australian actor, singer, songwriter, writer, and producer based in Los Angeles. He is a graduate of the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Nico played the role of debonair host Maximilian Martel at the McKittrick Hotel in New York City from 2011 until August 2018. Nick emceed many of the fantastic events and performed in the legendary, immersive, defining off-Broadway show Sleep No More for almost a decade. Nick journeyed to the States soon after graduating Whopper, expedited by a win in the much-sought green card lottery. I've caught up with him many times in recent years, here or there. I'm very envious of his journey. He had his sights set on the USA and was determined to make it happen. Nick has been a part of many fascinating stories in his artistic pursuits, and what better way to celebrate them than in a conversation for stages. So much time had passed. I could barely... The spring was brutal. Remember. But the summer was worse. The way things used to be. I had been hiding behind a mask for so long. I could hardly breathe. I'd forgotten what I was running from. I could no longer Or running to. If I wanted to live or die. Yet there she stood. As beautiful. A glass house. And majestic. As I remembered. Of memories and broken dreams. The door was ajar. And when I pushed, I ascended the staircase once again, everly onward into darkness, through an endless maze of memories. I reached the heart of the place that throbbed like a red velvet womb. Just like mother. There stood a man lit by a single moonbeam. The most handsome man my eyes had ever seen. He took my face in his hands, gazed into my eyes, and said, Look at me. Welcome to the house of the lost things. There are many rooms and doors. Tales of love and death and kings lurk among these old floors. Silent rooms waiting to be crossed. Those who leave you spellbound. Where all the things you lost are here, waiting to be found. Oh, they were the dulcet, delightful and very dark tones of my guest today on stage as my old, old, 
old friend, <laughs> Nick Atkinson. Hello, Nick. Hi, Peter. How are you? When, when, well, I guess we are, we've known each other for a very long time, I like to say, rather than old. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it's about 25 years, I think, since the old Whopper days. Yeah, it is. Wow. Those were the days, Peter. Yes, it was not. They were the days, actually. They were great days. I had a great time at Whopper. Did you? Oh, my goodness. I had such a blast. It was so much fun. It was a very, um, I think, anytime you decide to really work on your craft, it's it's challenging. And um, I had moments where I was sort of, you know, you go through those moments of self-doubt and so on. But I had so much fun. All that, pe- all those people that we've studied with were brilliantly talented and a, a quiet little riot, as I like to say. Yeah, and I've caught up with a few of them uh, since I've been doing this podcast over the past three years, and it's always very exciting to to reunite um, in conversation with with some of those people and to see what they're doing now. Because with drama school, it's it's fascinating to see who, well, in your year, for example, is still doing it two years later, five years later, ten years later. And now 20 years later, which indeed you are doing it still. Yeah, thank you, Peter. And and that means a lot to me because I was always very, um, I kind of don't really know anything else. Like, in granted, I study graphic design. So I, I, I can happily brag that I have a graphic design degree and then I got my degree over at WAPA. But when I graduated out of, out of WAPA, I always had a job on the side. I always was doing hospitality stuff on the side. I've never been too afraid to hustle multiple jobs, but I, I kind of made a little pact to myself that this is what I'm going to do. And if I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be a singer, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> it's it's bizarre <laughs> speaking to you because, I mean, we've managed to keep in touch uh, quite regularly over those years, either here or certainly in New York where you've been based for the uh, the past couple of decades, I think. Um, it's been like that. So to talk to you now via Zoom, you're not in New York. You're actually home in Perth, aren't you? Yeah, it's really bizarre. I just flew in two days ago. I'm jet lagged as all hell. I'm I'm cooped up in, in a wonderful hotel right across the street from um, the new newer Perth arena. And it's really funny because I always go through this weird thing when I come back to Perth where all these memories come flooding back to me. And so when I was about five or six years old, my wonderful parents took me to see Peter, Paul and Mary. And then I think the same year, ABBA, right across the street. So I feel like it's I'm, I'm right meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not in quarantine, but, uh, you know, it, it was good to come home. And, like, you've met my wonderful mum and uh, she was outside. I got a wonderful text yesterday saying, look out the window and she was out the front staring up at me through the window that she delivered a whole bunch of fruit and little chocolate snacks and things. So yeah, I'm, I'm really jet lagged. So I imagine our conversation is going to go a little sideways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's very uh, early on in your solitary stay there in, in quarantine. What's it been like so far and what do you expect for the next fortnight? You know what? Um, you know me pretty well. I've always been running at a very, almost manic pace I'm like a kid in the candy store everywhere I go I'm constantly I'm 49 going on 14 I've always been bouncing off the walls of every space that I'm in so to lock me in a room for two weeks 
where I can't even walk out the door, open a window. And as somebody who suffers from vertigo and chronic claustrophobia, it's actually turning out to be really, really fabulous. Like it's been very introspective. I had to set, I don't like to have routine, but I have made sure that I get up in the morning, I meditate. I secretly burn sage because I'm not supposed to burn it in here. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I've been working on a screenplay. So I, I'm really, really close to finishing this project that I've been working on for quite some time. And I'm really excited at the idea and the prospect that in the next 12 days left that I'm going to have a wonderful piece of screenwriting that is finished in this very, very um, lonely, claustrophobic space, which is very fitting for what I'm writing. <laughs> very um forced focus for two weeks yeah uh, i'm sure you'll produce something terrific uh like indeed yeah. the opening of this episode uh which you wrote for uh, ha halloween night at sleep no more wasn't it where you were working for quite a while i worked at the wonderful mckittrick hotel sleep no more in new york for since its inception in 2011 the show unfortunately had to close during during the pandemic so that um, wonderful little fun voiceover that you just heard was for a fundraising event for last Halloween, created by a group called Lost Immersive. And they're a wonderful, extraordinary group of fans of the show who decided to get together and create a fundraiser on Halloween for all the workers in, in the immersive world in New York, not just for Sleep No More, but all the other shows that have been going on, whether they're performers, stage managers, you know, the coat check people, everything. So they, that was kind of like the very opening moment of this wonderful fundraising event they did for Halloween. Uh, there was about 40 or 50 performers involved and it was basically like a live streamed event online with each performer given carte blanche to do whatever they like for three or four minutes. And I was kind of the host for it. I, I often end up hosting these events and that's what I created for that. It was all actually Kay Kaylee Lehman, who is one of the producers of the event. She basically wrote the second half of it and I wrote the first half of it. So I can't possibly take all the credit up for it. But I do like to, to write and create these things. Halloween, <laughs> Halloween as a festival has grown considerably in Australia over, over the past decade. Uh, it's something that's quite big all over the States, isn't it? In, uh, is it October or November? Well, yeah. October 31st, it, my birthday happens to coincide a couple of days earlier, so I always get to have the most wildly fun, debaucherously decadent birthday parties at the McKittrick Hotel. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. I remember when I was a kid, I, I, I remember I threw a Halloween party for about my seventh birthday, and this is going back to the 70s, and some of the parents had to reach out to my mum and ask what they meant because they didn't really know what Halloween was in Australia back in the 70s necessarily but now it's one of those things that everyone just gets crazy about it <laughs> i remember a, a, a year when i was in uh, west hollywood and they have a huge halloween party on, on the streets there and it's uh, one of only two occasions in my life where i have donned a frock and a wig <laughs> <laughs> and i think i was present for the other one as well <laughs> you were present at the other occasion i think you were hired as security weren't you I was the security, believe it or not, I was the choreographer of when you performed It's Raining Men with uh, Scott J. Hendry and who else was with us? Mr. Oh, Kathy, Kathy White. White. Yes. Of course. As you say, they, they, they were the days. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, look, Halloween in New York's really 
big deal. And I was lucky enough that for the majority, I'm living in Los Angeles now. I, I, I moved out to Los Angeles about uh, permanently about six months before the pandemic began. But the vast majority of the years that I was living in New York, I lived right in the West Village. And Halloween in the West Village is crazy and huge and the most fun you can have in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I concur. I concur. Nico, mm -hmm. what's the most used app on your phone, would you say? Oh, do I really have to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's not a, I'm not, I don't have an ulterior motive. No. It's just a, a question to get no, the conversation I, I know. going. Um, you, don't, you can answer okay, truthfully no, or no, you the, can... No, the, okay, well, truthfully, it would be Grinder. Right. Because <laughs> I like to make new friends everywhere I go. Um, and some fair friends. But actually, it's funny you should say, because at the moment, it's this new app called Clubhouse. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's yeah. kind of this Clubhouse thing where you can talk to, like, dozens of people at the same time. I, because of the lockdown, I didn't get a chance to meet many people in LA, before, you know, before when I moved there, because I was kind of really focused on this screenwriting course that I was doing, because I believe at any age, it's important to study things if you're not, if they're not habitual for you. So um, I've been Clubhouse a lot, meeting lots of interesting people from around the world. I was on Clubhouse right before we got on to this conversation, actually. Clubhouse, I, mu I must look it up. And then after that, it's probably Spotify. Yeah, I'll invite you. It's really fun. And then after that, it's Spotify. I always play. I kind of have. I have a wonderful um, music supervisor, Julia Holtigan, who's been helping with me um, with music programming for this screenplay that I'm writing. So I always play her Spotify playlist in the background while I'm writing. So it's probably Clubhouse. Oh, thank you. My dinner just arrived at the hotel. <laughs> do, do, do you need to go and answer that? So, no, I, I'm actually not allowed to go answer the door until they walk away. It's it's part of the beauty of being in quarantine. <laughs> oh, and what's the um? What are the meals like? What have you had so far? What are you expecting tonight? Well, you know what they actually give us a menu, which I don't have right on me now. The meals have been fantastic, although today bizarrely the lunch was a potato salad. <laughs> so you know. Each to their own. I can't complain. I'm being really well taken care of here. And I will say, having lived in America for almost 20 years, I'm really, 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 I know people in Australia are very frustrated, but I'm so impressed with how Australia is handling the pandemic. It's, it's when you live in a country like America and you see how things are not handled on a daily basis, it's been really wonderful um, so far. <laughs> Have you been had moments where of fear over the last twelve months being in New York and also Los Angeles with the uh, the degree of COVID that has sort of uh, gone into the community? Absolutely, I haven't lost anyone really close to me. My my roommate lost um, a relative, and and we've lost some incredible people in the showbiz community. I, I've, I've lost I've actually lost three family members in the last year, but that, that just happened to coincide with COVID. Look, living in the states last year, Pete, it's been a really tumultuous time with the you know with the pandemic coinciding with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I was very um, I like to consider myself to be uh, very um, politically active. I'm a humanitarian. I was in all those uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I don't want to use the wrong term protests in Los Angeles and I I, I had to stop going because I, I was getting very confrontational because I hate to see any sort of injustice. And to 
to be in those protests in LA where you were up against um, a lot of people who are kind of blasé, like people don't want to wear a mask and they don't want to socially distance, and then yet you're in a protest with thousands of people. Look, I, I don't know why I live in America. It's like this, it, and, I, and I said about New York, New York is this, this crazy lover that I have the wildest relationship and the wildest best sex with, but we're just not meant to be together. That's why I had to move out of New York. I'm not ready to leave the States yet. Uh, I I feel like I have a lot to offer. I feel like Los Angeles and Los Angeles' showbiz is missing somebody like me. So I have a lot more work to do there before I leave. But it, it was scary. And one of the reasons why I came back to Perth, I was very much, I very much, like I think everybody has. I have a bit of PTSD from the pandemic. Um, on a deeply personal level, I happened to get into a slightly abusive and in the end, physically uh, violent relationship at the start of the pandemic that I had to pull myself away from. And then after that, we've been in quarantine the last year. So I was like, I just want to go home to birth and get a hug from my mom. <laughs> and so say all of us. How wonderful. I just had two fabulous weeks with my mom. And uh, it's the best tonic. It's what we need. No matter how old we are, we are um, you can't replace that, uh, that affection of a mother. Well, you know what, Pete, and we're so lucky we can do that. And your mum's gorgeous, as is mine. We're lucky to have them. And on that note, like you know, both my parents, and unfortunately my dad's no longer with us, but both my parents really encouraged me. You know, they, like I mentioned, they took me to see Abba, Peter, Paul and Mary. I saw Jesus Christ Superstar when I was seven years old. And they always really encouraged us to go and see live theatre to experience live music and it's because my parents very much do whatever you want to do and so I think we're lucky to have um you know how, was your mum like that Did she encouraged you to get in the showbiz absolutely very supportive and encouraging and dad who um was very cautious about you know a, a child and what they're going to do with their life uh was supportive of showbiz but you know get something to fall back on so I'm so glad I got my degree before I, I went to drama school, because that's what I'm doing today, you know, that combination of both teaching and uh, and performing. And you're so bloody brilliant at it. That's the whole thing, Peter. <laughs> this, this needs to be on TV. You have to be doing this on TV with a white grand piano and we could be in, like, shiny tuxedos. Oh, <laughs> you can come on and do the barrel with me at the end, this Definitely. Yes, we'll give away. You a can car. roll me off a barrel at the end. <laughs> roll, roll me away in a barrel. Never know how much I love you. Never know how much I care. When you put your arms around me, I get a fever that's so hard to bear. You give me fever. When you kiss me, a fever. When you hold me tight.
Now, look, we, we should share with our listeners too, we spent some time getting the audio right for this conversation before uh, we started. I think I think it's right, but occasionally there are glitches, but we're dependent on hotel Wi-Fi. So thanks to the listeners for um, for, for tuning in. It, it went a bit fuzzy during the grinder chat, so um, I might have some people writing in just to see what you said. <laughs> asking, asking where they can find me on there. <laughs> Is it going off in Perth? <laughs> New face in town? I, I actually haven't looked. <laughs> I, the, the wonderful thing for me with um, now that I've kind of become a little bit of a hermit during the pandemic and with all my writings, I don't really turn on, I kind of turn all these things off. So I, don't, I haven't watched TV at all since I've been here in Perth. I don't really look on those apps anymore. What's the point? I'm in quarantine. <laughs> what are you reading? Did you, did you take a book onto the plane? Oh look, I I um I have a lot of books. I'm reading a lot of books on how to be not racist. You you walk into an audition, you walk on stage, and you feel all these nerves and things like that. And it's taken me this last year to realize my white privilege and how privileged I've always been to walk into a room as a white man. And it's kind of made all my inhibitions and fears as a performer kind of disappear. Like, and even coming flying back to Australia, the privilege I have as an Australian to be able to fly back to my country when so many people world over struggle with things. So I've been reading a lot of books about um, just learning about the, especially the American experience. And even I didn't get taught a lot of Aboriginal history. I'm sure that's changed since the seventies, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be a better human and, um, and realize there's still things that make me intrinsically privileged that I'm trying to raise everybody else up to, have the same privileges that I do. Um, and then as far as reading books, I've been reading a lot of, um, well, let me just grab something on set. Because I did want to reference this. I have actually just started reading. So I'm going to start that again, Pete, in case you want to cut. Um, yes, no, I've been no, reading no. Old Be Gone. Is, in This is live podcast. Oh, we're live. <laughs> of course we are. Well, while we I'm, do that, I'm going to pour myself a bourbon. I've been reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark. About, it's an incredible um, book by Michelle McNamara, and it's about the Golden State Killer. And I've been reading that as sort of a reference for my um, screenplay that I've been writing, which is in a, a 1990s true LGBTQ true crime uh, that happened. So I've been reading a lot of crime books. If I ever had the police go through my laptop and look at the research I'd be doing, they'd probably think I'm a serial killer, but it's not the case. <laughs> no, no doubt you've... Cheers, darling. I'm having a bourbon. You told me that you haven't had a drink since last Monday or something, but you're drinking bourbon. Well, that that is an absolute fact, but this is a special occasion, so yeah. here we go. Yes, in conversation. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Nick, I'm worried, about, I'm worried about your dinner is that out there waiting outside your door, getting cold? Shall I go? Let me go get it. One go, sec. Go get it and tell me what uh, what you've got, Nico. I can see Nico go to his hotel room. He's grabbing his dinner and what's oh, in a brown paper bag? It is in a brown paper bag. Oh, I got ice cream tonight. I'm going to put that in the fridge. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I made you go out and get it because you would have had a puddle of sweet cream at your door. Exactly. Here we go. So what little surprise do we have here? Oh, it's some delicious chicken curry and rice. It's going to be delicious. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Oh, good. Good. So, oh, well, yeah, I'm here, Pete. Well, eat, eat away if you need to. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire show delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. Extra butterfly. Lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Nicholas James Finn Atkinson, let us uh, begin at the beginning. <laughs> okay, well, well, Pete, okay, well, first of all, that's a typo on IMDb. My name is Nicholas Argyle Atkinson. Somehow, I, th- I thought so. Nich- well, I-, I thought so. How can it be wrong? Because, uh, yes, I've always known as Nicholas I've Argyle. Wrote- I've written multiple letters to IMDb to fix that. Some poor other Nicholas Atkinson, or Nick Atkinson, and I have. Merged on there, but I'm Nick, Nicholas Argyle Atkinson, the is one Ar- and only. <laughs> is Ar- Argyle a family name? It is indeed. My dad was Barry Argyle. My grandfather, how's this for a name? Archibald Argyle Atkinson. Triple A. So, yeah, it's been the name for Triple A. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, you were about to say. <laughs> and uh, you were conceived at the Hydro Majestic in the Blue Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Gee, my that, research is good. That That is actually probably the most... Gee, your research is... I was indeed. I was conceived at the Hydro Majestic Hotel in the Blue Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, yes, that's a fact. So you're born in Perth. You grew up in Perth. I was born and raised in Perth. Dad was from Sydney, from Engadine. Um, and my mum was from Perth. I grew, born and bred in, in, in Gooseberry Hill. I still We still have our wonderful family home that I grew up in, our Breakfield. It's the house I was born in, and I'm going to return there in a couple of weeks when I get out of here. And... Um, I'm the quintessential Aussie guy, Pete, who's never played a game of football or cricket in his life. That's who I am. So was it a, a childhood of sun, sea and surf? Although I suppose um, in Gooseberry, Gooseberry Hill there's not a lot of surf, is there? <laughs> yeah, no, we were up in the hills. We actually, I was pretty athletic. I used to do a lot of cross-country running. I used to run around barefoot. I was a pretty wild, feral little kid. Um, but yeah, I was pretty athletic. I would like to go. I, I did used to surf a bit in my teens, but I was too. I'm, I'm from Perth, so I'm naturally terrified of sharks. Didn't do a lot of surfing, no. <laughs> <laughs> was it an artistic uh, household? Yeah, I'm lucky. My my grandmother was the highest highest accredited piano teacher in Australia during her time. So we we all learned musical instruments. We, we got trained on the piano. I decided to do violin. My sister played the banjo, which to this day is still my favourite. I love the sound of a good old banjo. Um, my mother did a lot of uh, local musical theatre. She was at the Kalamunda Musical Theatre Society. On stage? And as a kid, on stage. did You, you probably didn't know this. I didn't Mom know did that. did a lot of fabulous... Mum did a lot of, uh, Coral did a lot of fantastic musical type stuff with like this sort of dinner theatre with a music hall and um, 
And I, I remember only being about seven or eight and I was really, really, I wanted to be like a set designer or a lighting designer then. I do all the curtains for the show and I was obsessed with um, showbiz. Like, like literally by the time I was like 15 and we were doing work experience, my school organised me for me, which was an incredible experience now that I look back at it. I got to go um, work with the lighting director of the Octagon Theatre at the University of Western Australia and it just happened to coincide with our work experience. They were in their last week of dress rehearsals for Madame Butterfly at the University of Western Australia. And then they taught me how to operate a follow spot. And I learned all the colours of the gels and how to make people look warmer and cooler. And then my school let me stay on after work experience finished. And I was one of the follow spot operators at Madame Butterfly at the University of Western Australia. And that was when I really got hooked. To, to our business, you know? You know, yeah, it was just stunning. Madame Butterfly is, I love a good drama. The music is exquisite. It was a beautiful production. And of course the lighting was immaculate. <laughs> you know, the, the smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd, or the smell of the crowd, the roar of the grease paint. <laughs> this is hysterical. We're, we're, it, I, I think it's good, but we're working with jet lag. Oh, we're working with jet lag and a bit of zoom lag. So we've got two lags happening here. Oh, I'm sorry. We might, we might have to come back to this another day. Let no, me it's know. good. I think it's working okay. There's just occasional sort of, um, you know, jet lag, zoom lag, fag lag. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so was there much uh, drama at school in your uh, secondary and, and well, primary education for that matter? The first time I got on stage in primary school, we did a little dance to that. I think the song was called Popcorn or something. It's like, ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da ba Yeah, that's not popcorn. Popcorn goes. Popcorn is... Oh, that's right. Well, it was one of those wacky songs. And I remember I kind of got stage fright and I froze. So I didn't really get back on. That was at about seven or eight years of age. I kind of avoided the stage after that. But when I was 15 years old, I was I um, started going to Aquinas College and I got cast as Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar. And that was when I got hooked to, um, I'd never sung in public before. I'd never been on stage other than that quasi popcorn moment. So yeah, when I was 15, I got to play Jesus. I got to get crucified as a 15 year old. It's very, very painful. Well, not. I mean, I can't imagine what again crucified would be like, but I had to hold myself up over a cross and in a little loincloth and sing my little heart out. <laughs> was that the first it was time? Amazing. Was that the first time that you met John Milson? I think I met John Milson when I was fresh out of high school. I started. I was obsessed with wanting to get into WAPA, the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. I'm sure our listeners know that play. But as soon as I got out of high school, I started going to watch all the shows there. And, of course, I met John Milson very quickly. He actually, we actually, um, John was really wonderful with me. He kind of took me under his wing immediately. He, and again, my, my dark little heart, he was planning to do a production of um, a British play. It was a two-hander about a notorious serial killer. It's weird how I keep going back to those sort of stories. We started rehearsing it over the summer. It, it, it never materialised, but we always planned to do it. And then John 
was very much like you're too young to go to Whopper, Nico, but we'll, you know, we'll get you in there. And then I, I ended up, you know, many years past, Pete, as you know, I, I didn't end up starting at Whopper till I was 24. I ended up doing Anything Goes with John Milson. I think I did Bye Bye Birdie with John Milson. John, John didn't do Bye Bye Birdie, but I actually did Bye Bye Birdie at the Quarry Amphitheatre. And one of my fellow chorus members was the wonderful Lisa McCune. Wow. And we were both only about seven, 17, 18 years of age. And so, you know, I've been in this business for longer than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Older than I ever intended to be. Uh, well, my research, Ooh, yeah. that, my research isn't that great then because I, I thought that Milson had directed um, Jesus Christ Superstar. But uh, he came along a little bit later. And for those listeners who, uh, just to put the pieces together, John Wilson was the head of the music theatre course at Whopper when we studied there. I sense there's something in the wind That feels like tragedies at Speaking of, speaking of serial killers, you've no doubt seen that um, famous film Cruising with Al Pacino. You know what's crazy, Peter? I'm literally have it open on my laptop right now because it's one of my re- reference pieces. Do you re- realise that Linda Blair and Ellen Bernstein, Bernstein were in that? Bernstein? Bernstein? How do you say it? <laughs> <laughs> tomato, tomato. I'm not sure. <laughs> Tom- yeah. But yeah, what were you going to say about, that's one of my favourite movies of all time. Al Pacino is one of my favourite actors of all time. Well, yeah, it's just that you're writing this this uh, serial killer screenplay and, of course, that was a very infamous film of the, the 70s, I think, uh, that focused on uh, various gay killings in leather bars around New York. What was exciting and dynamic about that film is they actually filmed that in real gay leather bars. I love that we're talking about gay leather bars because it's where I feel most at home. Um, <laughs> but they actually filmed a lot of those scenes in real gay leather bars with real leather daddies with Al Pacino and a bunch of a handful of other actors working with real men on the scene. So it was very controversial for its time. Yeah, he and was, I love a good bit of controversy. He was it, playing an undercover policeman. James, yes. James Franco recently made a film too called uh, Action Leather Bar or something because apparently there's about 40 minutes from the cruising film which was censored and not allowed to go ahead. So he and a writer sort of um, envisioned what that 40 minutes might have been. Have you seen that film? I would like to see that film. Have you? I haven't. Have you seen it? I have seen it. I have seen it. It's very interesting. Um it's sort of done as a pseudo documentary, talking to the actors who are involved with it, and uh, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I have to check it out. I love James Franco. I find him to be a very dynamic performer, and and Pacino, of course. Uh, and who were your idols growing up? Who did you want to to be like? Who were my idols as a young young as a young, actor as a young to be like? Yeah, as a Sorry, young broke man. up there. Sorry. I would never break up with you, Nick. 
Oh God. Let me go again. So my idols, I definitely love Al Pacino. I loved Robert De Niro. I love a lot of female actors. I love, um, often I don't really, I, I'm not really into hero worshipping. I'm not into worshipping false idols. Um, so it's with, with, with actors and things, it's more about specific performances by specific people. For example, Matthew Modine in Birdie was one of those stunning performances that really changed my life. Um, I loved, my favourite movie of all time is Picnic at Hanging Rock, just because it's so creepy and eerie and fabulous. Um, and the performances in that were stunning. But I don't really tend to idolise men. I was raised by a whole cacophony of amazing women. And I, the only men that I put up on a pedestal, Pete, the Go-Go Boys. <laughs> well, they have to be on a pedestal. <laughs> Well, I keep forgetting people are going to be listening to this. And I am jet lagged, so please forgive me. Please forgive you. What genre of music do you like listening to? Do you, do you sort of regularly tune into a show tune? You know what? That's, I'm a terrible, terrible gay musical theatre man. I don't really listen to show tunes at all. I don't really love a lot of musical theatre. I, I love Air. I love Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I, I, I like to listen to a lot of electronica. I like to listen to a lot of R&B. Um, I love a good big belty voice, but I, I don't really have a type. Really, I, I love jazz. Um, I've been listening to a lot of John Coltrane lately. Um, I, I, love, I love listening to like classic jazz standards, like I Love Paris. Or, and that's what I got to perform every night when I was doing Sleep No More, you know, when I was playing Maximilian. Maximilian Martel, I got to get up on stage every night with a four-piece jazz band and with some of the most brilliantly talented jazz musicians in New York and sing whatever the hell I liked as part of the show. Actually, that's not true. They were, they were, I often got to choose the songs, but I, you know, I love I love jazz. <laughs> Why do I love Paris? Because my love is me. Hello, fellas. This is my little poodle. Does anyone know how to say poodle in French? Is it poodle? I can say éclair, poisson, volvant. I don't know. I know how to French kiss, that's all that matters, isn't it? I love Paris every moment Every moment of the year Sleep No More. I mean, well, tell me about it. I saw it. I loved it. It was an extraordinary experience. But to, to the listener who is maybe not sure what Sleep No More is, it's an immersive piece of theatre. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So Sleep No More is an incredible piece of um, immersive theatre based on Macbeth and uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, or Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca, uh, set at McKittrick Hotel in 1939. So I'm still contractually obliged not to talk about the inner workings of the show, but basically the audience all wear masks, you walk through the building and the performance happens all around you. Um, and my character, Maximilian Martel, was one of the MCs and hosts of the show, um, the, the, I don't know what else to say, but maybe you could say something since you've seen it. Like, how would you explain it as an audience member? Well, it was, <laughs> it was a, such an exciting, uh, experience as an audience member, because as you say, you're all wearing masks. You are walking around this five level, was it five levels, four level hotel. There are about 16 actors and yes. you get to follow whoever you want, whatever character you want. They all have their own story and they meet up at, at various points. But uh, I'd never seen or experienced anything like it. It was fabulous. Yeah, it's a really wonderful world to perform in and a really wonderful, um, you know, doing the role that I did, I was performing the role, I got to meet a lot of really interesting people. I got to meet Madonna. I got to meet Pink. I got to um, but meet all these people in, in, in character. And so their whole perception of who I am is, is quite, quite bizarre. But, you know, it was a really incredible experience. And I think that the, the, the immersive theatre world is kind of like this new frontier of the business. But in all honesty, I'm happiest in front of the camera. Like I did Home and Away back in the day in Australia. I've done a few bits and pieces in films and stuff. I, I like to be work in film the medium because you get to do things over and over again although I do love a live audience so I, I just love showbiz Pete <laughs> so a lot of sitting around with film and television though is there doesn't that get a bit boring yeah and the thing with it it's like, it's like anything I think a lot of actors forget like you know you need to have a lot of stamina for what we do and sometimes that stamina can mean like sitting around for 10 to 12 hours on a movie set all day and being like, okay, Nick, we're ready for you. You know, we're ready for your close up. And you have to like maintain that energy, that excitement you always get when you're performing and just kind of harness it into the, the little time you may be on camera. So it, it's very different to doing live theater, but I think it's, I, I think at the end of the day, we're storytellers. And so I love the whole aspect of storytelling and, in whether it's on stage or on film or TV or however. Yes. It, um, it, yeah. must, it must have helped to look like, look the way that you look. I mean, you're a very handsome fella and uh, you've been chosen in a lot of commercial product to represent products like Nokia, Microsoft, uh, Mercedes-Benz, IBM, and you've been in airports. Your image has been <laughs> in airports around the world. You've been on screens around the world. Uh, do you enjoy the the commercial work on TV and print? You know, I love it. I love it just as much. And thank you for pointing that out because I I, I had, had a th think about it the other day. It's like I've done so. I've been in so many commercials, and I'll, I'll still get random texts from somebody in Hong Kong. You know, are you in this commercial? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I did. Like, and probably about a third of the commercials I've done, I've, I've never seen. But I've had some really wonderful moments where, like, I remember I stepped off a plane in New York having traveled and I was going up an escalator through JFK airport 
And I was kind of tuned out listening to some music on my headphones and the woman beside me tapped me and she's like, is that you? And there was like a billboard as you came up the, the escalator. I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, that, that's me. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a lot of fun moments like that. I was standing on a New York subway and the train will go away and there's a picture of my face glaring at you. It's a little weird, I must say. A lot of actors uh, actually boast that they're proud that they've never done a commercial. But, you know, sort of all that commercial work has certainly allowed you to pursue your passion uh, financially, you know, supported you through that journey. Absolutely. And I think, look, look, I've got a really strong um, point of view about that because a lot of actors are very like, I don't do commercials, I won't do TV. Some of the best training I've got was when I worked on Home and Away and I was I got to work with the beautiful Belinda Emmett, uh, the wonderful Ben Unwin, neither of who are, uh, are with us anymore. Um, after, and I, that was straight after I'd been to Whopper and, you know, um, Home and Away was a bit of a baptism by fire for me because you, you'd shoot like 15 scenes in a day. It was the best on-set training. And same with the commercials. You know, I work, I've worked with some of the top film directors in the world who happen to shoot commercials on the side because they do that for their extra pocket money so that they can make their feature films. And um, I highly, I think all that matters for you as a, as a performer, whether you're an actor, a singer, a dancer, and whether you, you get hired to perform in a commercial or in a play or in a musical or a film, is just to bring the best version of you the most professional, most present version of yourself to the project because it's all training and it's all learning. Like like right, right after I got back, when I was 27, I travelled to America for the first time and I travelled all around the world and I ran through all, all the money that I had in the world. And the second that I got back to Sydney, I booked this Nokia commercial where I played Tarzan and the money that I made through that got me through the next six months. I was able to do a play with the Tamarama Rock Surface, Tamarama Rock Surface, and a bunch of wonderful people like Roxanne Wilson and Morgan Smallbone directed it. And uh, I was able to finance, I've, I've often been able to finance my own independent product uh, projects, whether it's making electronic music or being in off-Broadway plays because of the money I made doing commercials and things. And I've, I've been lucky enough that I have a certain aesthetic that people like. But what's exciting for me, Pete, is like more and more people, we're getting a lot more interesting in the way we cast people these days and, and people tend to shy away from just generic people. I, I have a tendency to look a little generic. <laughs> and it, and every, but I'm, every as I get man. old... Yeah, every man. And this is my thing. I've never been cast as a homosexual man in my life. And that but that deeply troubles me as a homosexual man. So that's why I'm getting I, my, with my production company, I'm creating product I'm creating productions that showcase the LGBTQI experience because I've I've never really seen um queer men like myself on screen. Not not the way I am <laughs> you talked of electronic music of course you had a fair crack at being a music artist for gee more than a decade i think with a band called exotic robots yes 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 and that was a wonderful project i teamed up with a couple of friends uh christiana blaine and phil cadet who i met in new york and we put out we, we performed all over new york in lots of different live venues 
we put together a, a, an album that I'm actually proud of still to this day called Supernova. And um, just through networking and being diligent and relentless with, with, with the contacts we had, we got to record the album at Germano Studios, which is run by an incredible guy called Troy Germano. We're the only unsigned band he'd ever had in the studio. He's worked with Rihanna, Jay-Z, Madonna, Adele. Bette Midler recorded her Hello Dolly album there. And uh, we recorded this whole album there. We had Kenta Yonasaka, who's an incredible Japanese-American um, Japanese sound engineer. He engineered the album for us. And um, it was an incredible experience. I would surrender As I get older, when I'm not acting and performing, I want to be producing music for other young artists when I'm not writing screenplays or producing films. I, I think it's really important for us um, to get out of our heads that I'm just a singer, I'm just a dancer, I'm just an actor. You need to have as many strings to your bow as you can and surpass all that knowledge and technique that you've gained over the years to younger performers. I, I know some of the most extraordinary talents on the planet from the people that I've met at WAPA with you, living and working in New York, living and working in LA. And I like to, um, I wish that I'd known more people like myself when I was their age, helping to give them a leg up in the business. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you got to America initially because you entered the famous green card lottery, which every determined creative artist does on a regular basis but 
I think you'd only entered it once or twice, hadn't you, before your numbers came up? I entered it once and I am a really big believer in manifesting your destiny. I'm a bit of a warlock. I'm a bit of a witch. And I I knew that there was this green card lottery. And at that stage, you would just put your name and address on a piece of paper and stick in an envelope and send it off. And on the back of the envelope, I scratched with my fingernail, you can't fight fate. And that was my little way of telling myself, if you get selected for this lottery, it was meant to be. If they don't pick your name, then you can't fight fate. It wasn't meant to be. And lucky enough, six months later, I got selected and I moved to America and was lucky enough to be able to move there as a as an immigrant and get a green card. And I know it's a real struggle for, for people to, to live in other countries sometimes, but I think if you're... If you're really determined about what your goals are and you really focus on the positive aspects of that, you'll find a way to make it happen for you. You've made all sorts of experiences happen, which I am green with envy sometime watching you live your life. Tell me about the time that you went to the Met Gala. Oh, wow. Yeah, Pete, that's, you know, that's just my thing. And and look, if, if I can give one piece of advice to anybody, because I, I turned 50 this year, so it's become a, a it's a big deal for me. Um, I, I'm so busy being out there, you know, I'm just a Broadway baby, you know, out there like strutting on the streets, trying to, trying to get the next gig happening and stuff, that I never really take the time to just sit back and, and, and look at the things that I've done and achieved and enjoy the moment. But, yeah, I, I got to go to the Met Gala a few years ago. I was invited by a gentleman in the fashion business who wanted a, you know, he wanted a cute bit of arm candy to take along with him and I happened to fit the fit the mould. And uh, I got to go to the Met Gala the year of the, um, of the punk, it was the punk year. And I had the wonderful experience of sitting at a table with uh, uh, Mark Jacobs, uh, Sophia Coppola, who I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of... Um, the Virgin Suicides, and uh, Miley Cyrus, who Mark Jacobs had dressed that year. I basically walked into the Met Gala with Miley Cyrus with her little Hello Kitty Diamante phone in my pocket and her gum. And and let me tell you, that was the first time I'd ever come across Miley Cyrus as an artist. And um, what what's important for people to realise they want to get in the show is I was – it was so remarkable. I was like, here's this young girl. She has this electrifying personality. She was so excited to meet me. We had such a fun time. She was about to put out that big album that was quite controversial that summer where she kind of just blew up that summer. And she, we were sitting there over dinner and she said to me, look, I was happy to talk with her about music. And she said, I have an album coming out this summer. The industry is so crowded. I don't know how I'm going to get noticed. And I was like, I'm sure you'll find a way. So yeah, and I, and I got to sit next to Grace Coddington. She was next to me at the dinner table. And for people who don't know, she's kind of like the the artistic creative director at, at Vogue. Um, and so I had a wonderful time with Grace Coddington. I got to meet Pharrell, and that was right when he was putting out Get Lucky, the song. But the Met Gala, it's the most extraordinary thing you'll ever see in your life. Every time you turn around, it's like another celebrity. Kylie Minogue was there with Baz Luhrmann. Um, I said hello to them very, very briefly. Um, it was ex- it was an extraordinary night. And, you know, 
I was lucky to go because I think the tickets are like $25,000. So, yeah, I was, I can add to my resume, I was once a $25,000 escort. <laughs> <laughs> and who did you wear? Well, I wasn't. It was, who did I wear? Um, yeah. I actually wore Costume Nationale. And my outfit was put together by the wonderful Michelle Chang, who's an incredible um, fashion designer uh, from Perth, an old friend of mine who uh, who was living in New York at the time. And she put together a wonderful outfit for me from Costume National. And that's the thing I think it's very important for, um, for performers to remember as well. It's like every opportunity you can to go to any, any sort of red carpet event, go for it. Even if you can't afford it, you can, because that costume national suit was something that I had in my wardrobe that I'd picked up secondhand. Um, anytime you get to go, a chance to go to any of those events and meet people in your industry, go for it. One of, one of my only regrets in life, actually, and it's funny because it just dawned on me, um, going back to the beautiful Belinda Emmett from Home and Away, Belinda Emmett once invited me to, I think it was the Logies. And I was like, well, why would you want to take me when you could take some cute straight guy? And, you know, she was like, well, I want, and, I, and I, I turned down the offer and it wasn't until after she'd gone, I was like, that was the dumbest thing I'd ever done in my life. I would give anything to, to go to the Logies with Belinda Emmett. So I, I think any chance you get the opportunity to do any of that stuff, go for it. It was such an exciting, exciting night. Well, Nico, you, you, know, you said you're turning 50 this year. I find that really surprising and hard to believe because you've always had this Peter Pan quality. Do you feel 50? Well, it's funny you should say that, Peter. No, I don't feel 50. I kind of stopped growing up, ageing, about the time I went into Whopper, probably around 23, 24. I, I, I'm anti-ageist. I've never thought of age. I like to say levelling up, like I'm levelling levelling up to 50. Um, I hate people often talking about aesthetics because I have a certain aesthetic to me. People often reach out to me and be like, who does your Botox, Botox, who does your fillers? And what? I don't believe in cosmetic surgery, although I did have my ears pinned back um, out of vanity and being horrendously teased as a teenager for my um, what me worry ears. But I don't believe in cosmetic surgery unless it's something that you really really feel you want to do and I just don't believe I think age is a state of mind I know the best work that I'm going to do in my career is ahead of me like I look back at stuff I've done in the past and like everything I've been doing over the last 50 years is preparing me for all the incredible opportunities I have coming ahead of me and I can't wait to see what I'm doing when I'm 70 80 90 90 years old, if I'm lucky. I really want to play Quentin Crisp one day. And here's that wonderful one. Have you ever seen Quentin Crisp's one-man show, the, the oh, play yes. that they did? It's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yes, he's one of one of England's yes. stately homos. Exactly. He's, he's on my bucket list of roles that I can't wait to grow into. I want to play the butler in um, in uh, Sunset Boulevard. And I can't wait to, to, to get older and wrinklier and crankier Fat, <laughs> oh i'm already that i actually gained about 30 pounds during the pandemic it's very it's very on brand 
Well, Nico, this episode's being released on the day of your gorgeous mother, Coral's birthday. So I want to say a very happy birthday to uh, to Coral. I can't believe that you're 80, but um, it's, a, it's a wonderful time for you. And um, it's great to have your, your family home to celebrate with you. And um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, this conversation with your gorgeous son. And, and have a beautiful day, Coral. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Mum, and thank you all for tuning in. I hope I didn't. Um, <laughs> I hope I didn't terrorise anyone about about show business. But listen, I, I said any any of the younger folk out there who are listening to this, it's a real roller coaster of a ride. As anyone who's, as we've all learned, living through the pandemic, like you've got to expect the un- unexpected. You've got to learn to duck, weave, and change. And just, um, I, I'm going to be a thespian till the day I die. And I encourage you all to do the same. Well, that's good to hear. That's great to hear, Nico. I know that, you know, some old friends will be listening to this episode and they will have loved hearing your voice again and um, a whole bunch of new listeners who don't know you have have enjoyed the last hour as well, I'm sure. I want to take us out with a track. I hope so. A track that you did recently called Sunday Mondays, which I just love. Tell me about that. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, I'm really, it's actually the latest thing that I've done. So I mentioned earlier when we were talking tonight, there's this wonderful group of fans of the immersive community in New York called Lost Immersive. And this is a new fundraiser that we just did on May 1st. Um, and I am performing the song. It's actually written by Lenny Kravitz for Vanessa Paradis back in the 90s, Sunday, Mondays. And I perform the song for that event. Um, and if the music video isn't out quite yet, because we are going to put in a couple more tweaks to the track and add a few more harmonies, because I'm really, from all my years of working with exotic robots, I'm very specific about how things should sound in the studio. But yeah, I'm excited. You're getting to listen to the first version of um, Sunday Mondays, and there'll be a radio version out there on all the Spotify and, and all those things soon. So um, yeah, I'm excited for you all to take a listen. Thanks, Nico. Have a great time in Perth. Thank you for having me, Peter. It's so wonderful to hear your gorgeous voice. Thank you for having me and thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) The sun is out The clouds are slow top bloke and a dear friend. I'm delighted that stages could feature his creative journey from Gooseberry Hill to the Hollywood Hills in this episode. We wish him triumph in his pursuit of screenwriting and again say happy birthday to his mum Coral. 
Thanks for tuning in. It was a joy to have your company. Hope you can do it again next week. Another terrific guest with a fascinating story, I promise. Remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Wooshka, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast listening. Check out the Stages website too at www.stagespodcast.com.au. There you'll be able to find the many conversations with creatives recorded over the past three years. You've been listening to episode 193 of Stages. Thanks for joining us. I'll catch you next time.